Hey everybody and welcome back to another special Venice Saga episode of Dad Needs to Talk. Today I'll be covering my thoughts on Venice Saga Manga Book 6 which covers volumes 10 and 11 chapters 72 to 86. Let's get to it. Alright, so I guess we'll kind of just jump into it. Like I said, this is Venice Saga Book 6, which covers chapters 72 to 86. Like I said, just as a reminder, and I'm going to kind of, you know, just kind of talk through a lot of this. Is You know, this, this is definitely going to be more free-flowing in my thoughts. Um, and, you know, like I said, this is all kind of a learning and growing experience, but just kind of talk through it and see how it goes. So I guess just like off top, um, up front, I'll just say once again, another fantastic book. Um, definitely really enjoyed getting to see, you know, more of Thorfinn's struggle, him and Einhard's, um, or Einar, sorry, him and Einar's friendship continued to grow, getting to see how ruthless Canute has become, because I, I know I mentioned that a bit in the last chapter, but or in the last episode for the previous book, but this one, not to say just kind of get to continue to see that grow. Um, and yeah, so... So what I'm going to do, um, I'm going to kind of, like I said, just kind of talk my way through the book in some sense. Um, like I said, I'm just kind of start at the first chapter, at the chapter 72. And like I said, just kind of just, you know, recap, talk my way through it, give my thoughts and stuff. But what I'll start with, uh, so at the very beginning or near the beginning of this volume, you know, they give you no know, recap of the story so far. And so I'll just kind of just start with the part that is you know, pertinent to this current arc. So without a purpose in life, the empty Thorfinn fell from warrior to slave and eventually wound up living on an enormous farm owned by named Ketel. There he met a whole new host of people, his fellow slave Einar, the old master Sverkale, who hopes to die out in the fields, Ketel's slave and lover, Arnhide, and Snake, the head of the farm's bodyguards. In, in his new life with them, Thorfinn gradually began to understand something of the true warrior's life that his father Thor sought. So, Getting that at the beginning, I think, you know, it's, it's definitely really cool to, like I said, you know, refresh and really set the stage for what was about to come in this, you know, in these series of chapters. So another cool thing I noticed that, you know, he does is kind of starts off after that with a part of a scripture from the Bible right before you turn into the first page to actually start reading it. And so this one is, says, 
What do workers gain from their toil? I have seen the burden God has laid on the human race. He has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the human heart. Yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. And that's from Ecclesians 3, 9, and 11. So, kind of just jumping right into it. So, you know, we kind of pick back up with Canute's group as they're basically making their way to visit his brother. Um, and like I said, the first chapter was, you know, chapter 72 titled The Curse of the Head. And so, timeline-wise, this took place in Denmark in the year 1018. So, like I said, Canute was basically heading to his brother King Harold's camp to, you know, kind of check on him because his brother is pretty much on his deathbed, which that's, you know, because of Canute, you know, sending his people out and about. <laughs> to poison people and so pretty much pretty early on we kind of start to see you know we have a moment where you know Canute is kind of reminiscing memories from his childhood as, as they're kind of watching these kids play some little game with this like little hacky sack looking thing and the little sack bounces on the ground in front of Canute and he has a moment where he sees the head of his dead father. So that definitely, you know, like I said, just kind of, you know, shook him a little bit and just kind of sets the stage for that being a consistent thing. So we kind of get a little breakdown of basically how things went after, you know, the, uh, the prologue when Asglad killed King Sven and you know basically stuff kind of got split it was like uh, the older brother King Harold got Denmark and Canute the younger one got England so so yeah so like I said uh Canute comes to visit his brother and pretty much since his brother didn't have any heirs, then obviously next in line the land would fall to Canute. And so you know, we had this moment where Canute's going over talking to his brother you know, seemingly talking about he's caring, then once again, he sees his father's face in place of his brother and his father's up there saying, oh, how you've grown, Canute. You've learned to lie through your teeth without giving anything away. What a pious farce offering platitudes to the man you poisoned as he lies on his deathbed. And what do you stand to gain from this? So, like I said, Canute, you know, having a few moments where he's shook. And, you know, the sister is asking, like, hey, are you okay? You're not feeling well. And then his father's voice continues. Harold was always kind to you. What reason have you to kill him? You could have worked together to improve your control 
over the world. This is not for the sake of the of the utopia you dreamed of. There is ravenous ambition within your heart to become the ruler of the North Sea. This is the curse, the curse of the crown. There is no escape. You will wear both the crowns of Denmark and England, and your suffering shall be twice mine. So, yeah. Um, you know, I was like the canoe. Little, little shaken from that. And, you know, he kind of retires to his room for the night. He's kind of sitting down, contemplating things. And then, of course, the head <laughs> appears before him again saying, because uh, somebody, I think a maid, yeah, a maid had brought him something to drink. He ended up turning it down. And then you know, the head kind of makes fun of him. of like, oh, you fear, you fear poison because you willed it yourself. Isn't that right, Canute? So... So yeah, so they have, you know, like I said, like several kind of, you know, just like this, like kind of like little back and forth dialogue and yeah, so like I said, just kind of just interesting that this is kind of the thing that is weighing on Canute's mind and that was kind of one of the first things that kind of, you know, I was kind of making notes as I was, you know, kind of reading through this and documenting it on my Twitter feed. And so, this chapter, like I said, kind of goes with Canute's struggle, and then the next chapter, chapter 73, titled When You're Free, kind of does a similar thing for Thorfinn. And so, I kind of, like I said, theme, I was just thinking about with both of these, it's just that, like, both the crown that Canute is wearing as well as the axe that Thorfinn is carrying both are very heavy and bear a lot of weight and you know both you know religious realistically speaking in a way as well as kind of like metaphorically speaking so but um but yeah so just kind of like final thoughts from Canute he just kind of remarks to the head of you know, I once hated you, King Sven. I wish for your death. And look at me now. You are the only man to whom I can speak my mind freely. Let us be friends. After all, we both bear the curse. So, yeah. So, yeah. So, moving on. Like I so said, over to Thorfinn side of things. So, yeah. Pretty much we, we start off the this chapter with the next chapter with Thorfinn and Einar chopping down the last tree of the land that they are uh, you know that they have been kind of culling and stuff and so we kind of learned that you know it pretty much took them three years to do this so yeah let's see yeah, they're, they're celebrating you know, like, hey, they finally knocked down the final tree. Um, of course, both of these dudes are freaking jacked, which <laughs> you'd expect freaking, you know, chopping down trees, hauling wood and crap freaking, you know, three plus years straight. But, um, but yeah, you know, it's like it's a pretty nice just seeing these two kind of happy, laughing, having a good time and just seeing, looking at the fruits of their labor, you know, of like, hey, 
we put in a little over three years of work and we finally did it and that you know soon they'll be free and so you know then this kind of starts to beg the question of you know they'll be able to finally start you know basically buy back their freedom and Thorfinn asked Einar like what will you do when you're free return home and you know Einar's like I'm not sure don't have any family to return to and then of course he's still concerned about uh, Arnheide Arnheide like so forgive me if I'm butchering these names but but the, uh, the the slave lady that he has a crush on so so yeah so yeah like I said kind of going through that um he asked Thorfinn the same thing but like you know if he'll go back to to Iceland Thorfinn says he's not sure and so you know they both kind of had this moment where it's like you know it's weird that it's like hey okay you finally have freedom in a way but you know don't not really knowing like what to do with this newfound freedom and so Thorfinn makes a remark about something that he would like to try to do at least now that he's free and he says that he wants to try to eliminate warfare and slavery from the world so obviously that's a pretty big goal but yeah so we'll see where that kind of goes and so the uh, Master Kittel rides by with this <laughs> with his ditzy son, Almar, and, you know, come by, congratulates them. They're like, hey, you know, they did a good job knocking out the trees and stuff. And basically, he's getting ready to go on a short journey to basically go visit the king that's on his deathbed. So basically he's heading towards the same area where Canute them are currently. And so so yeah, so they head off and let's see. So yeah, so Thorfinn and and Einar head over to the old man old master's house. Snake comes out, freaking out. Just looking for the looking for the old master for dinner and stuff and then you know snake starts thinking like okay it's getting late in the day haven't seen the old man in a while and of course they find him collapsed out in the field which you know his son said that, that he's due probably gonna die trying to work to the very end so so yeah so they find him and they you know get him up and get him back to the house so chapter 74 escaped slave this is where we kind of get the true introduction to Gardar like I said once again apologize if I'm butchering names but I'm just that's how I'm going to say Gardar which you know we later find out is uh, Arnheit's husband so yeah so we kind of kick this off with him basically breaking free butchering everybody at the location that he was held captive at so yeah so he just going through killing everybody setting stuff ablaze and then we kind of cut back over to Arnheide you know coming in to help 
take care of the old man on the uh, on the Cattell's wife's orders. So yeah, so she comes by, you know, cooks some dinner, they're having a good time, and joking, laughing, having fun. And let me see. So yeah, so yeah, they're, they're just kind of laughing, joking, having fun. Let me see what's kind of the next thing. Oh yeah, so then, uh, what's his name? I think Fox, one of Snake's dude guys, you know, comes over and, you know, to inform Snake that, hey, they have a, you know, prisoner or, or escaped slave on the loose, you know, need to hunt him down. And then that's where we kind of end that chapter with Godard kind of lurking in the in the shadows kind of bounce back over to in chapter 75 titled King and Sword and we kind of bounce back over to Canute's side of things so yeah so yeah go back over to Canute's side of things and I'm you know, kind of start off with seeing Canute having a little small sparring match with his top soldier guy you know they're going in and pressing the crowds so on and so forth. Uh, let's see. And apologize enough that the page trying to sound this loud, but hey, it is what it is for the physical book. Uh, so, so yeah, so they're just kind of just going over. Okay, yeah, so Canoe and his kind of like helper guy, forgot his name. They're basically kind of like going over, like, hey, what, what do they need to do to get more money, so on and so forth, talking about, you know, raising taxes, yada, 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 um, and then, you know, of course, trying to figure out, you know, like, the best way to balance, you know, him ruling both England and Denmark, you know, because, you know, can't do too much of, you know, for one over the other, but, yeah, so then, we switch over and we finally see uh, Cattell finally arrived over there. But of course, <laughs> he arrives there just in time for his his older son to greet him and to be like, "Oh yeah, uh, King Harold's already dead. He died a week. You know, he already he died a couple weeks ago. We already had the funeral a week ago, and you know, other stuff is going on." So, so yeah, so obviously Cattell starts freaking out because he's like, crap, you know, he needs to get into good favor with, uh, Canute. And so this is where crap starts to hit the fan for this side of things. So Cattell's youngest, younger son, uh, what was his name? Almar. Yeah, Almar basically goes into town. Bumps into somebody who we later find out is the adopted son of uh, Leaf, the guy that's been uh, searching for Thorfinn for freaking over a decade. But yeah, so he bumps into the guy, you know, knocks his drugs down in the mud. They have some words, and then Olimar freaking pulls out a sword, acts like a big shot, like he's actually going to do something. <laughs> and I just got to say, just in general, all the Mars, like his face in general, just just annoys me. 
And so basically, you know, like I said, he pulls out a sword, acting all big and tough. And then his dad, Cattell, uh, comes over, finds him, clocks him, clocks him upside the head, apologizes. And then, then we get the reintroduction of sweet old man, Leif. And so, yeah, so chapter 76, titled All Mars Finest Hour. In hindsight, now that I'm going back through this again after already reading it, this dude's face annoys me even more than it did the first time I read it, just knowing the hell he's about to unleash and the chain of events that is going to happen from his stupidity. So, so yeah, so they end up, you know, talking and meeting. And so, uh, so Cattell and Almar sit down and have a, you know, to have lunch with, uh, Leif and his adopted son. And then his adopted son is named Thorfinn. And so that's kind of where the connections start to happen, where, you know, Cattell's like, oh, that's funny. You know, I have a a guy on my farm named Thorfinn as well. And then Leif starts asking some very specific questions. You know, it's for like, is he Nordic? Is he short? Blonde hair? Da, 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 da. And Cattell's like, whoa, yeah, you make some pretty specific guesses. And then, so that's when kind of Leif says that he's been searching for him for years. And so they you know, basically start the process of like discussing, you know, Leif uh, potentially following them back to their land so he can you know, see Thorfinn. So, so yeah, so move over to uh, the next day, Cattell and his sons are there to meet with Canute, you know, basically to just you know, present some gifts and try to earn his favor things went well hey he you know canute was happy he's like hey i don't have any problem i i you know i'm not gonna break any you know goodwill that you had with my father and my brother over the years you're fine you good people and that was it this should that should have been it but no all of our gifts up and begins to make the biggest fool of himself so then he says you know, you know, King Canute, I want to, basically, I want to join your army. I'm tired of, you know, working on the farm. I want to be like my big bro, da, 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 da. So Canute puts him to the test. Pig on the table and basically tells him like, hey, cut the pig the same way you would kill, you were, you know, cut or kill a person. So this dummy is up here slicing, 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 not making any cuts no nothing to the freaking pig so obviously turns him into more of a disgrace and then and then this is kind of where we start to see even more of how ferocious uh canute has become and so so basically they planned on using Almar as a way to kind of like I, I guess basically kind of kind of like 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 pulling puppet strings, so to speak. So you know, because of how dumb he is, they were like, hey, he'll be very useful. And so 
So yeah, yeah, Canoe's like, yeah, the typical Norse youth and dull witted to boot. He will he will dance perfectly to our tune. Then we will proceed with the plan. And then that chapter ends with a Cattell saying, Cattell is our first test case for appropriation. I'm afraid this is an, an ordeal they must suffer to ensure peace for all. Then going over to chapter 77, Disgrace. Uh, so we start seeing this kind of cloak dude, which tossing these, you know, kind of like flipping these coins in his hand. Honestly, the first thing that I thought of, and if you're a One Piece fan, this dude is making me think of freaking Katakuri. Because especially what he pulls off later on, later on, he freaking flicks the coin in the dude's eyeball. It reminds me of that time of Katakuri flicked the jelly bean through the dude's skull. So, so yeah, so anywho, these guys come over and, you know, of course, everybody's making fun of Olimar because where this word is spread around that dude can't even freaking cut up a damn pig. They making fun of him. He tries to stand up to, for himself again, pulling his sword. And then they're just laughing at him. And then he takes an actual slice at the dudes. And so they're like, OK, you getting serious, you know, so they pull out their weapons. So. Things are going good. And so basically the dude with the hood flipping the coins, his job, you know, was to basically stir the pot, so to speak. And so this is kind of where, like I said, where shit kind of hit, hits the fan. And then, you know, all getting the crap being out of being out of him. And then his brother steps in and basically is like, hey, either you stand up and fight for yourself or you die. It's like, it's like you've brought, you know, you've continued to bring shame on our family and on yourself. And so he's basically like, hey, fight and be a man. Because basically either you kill him or you die. So can't have you keep going on if you're not going to do that. And so, so, so the dude, he's kind of sparring with, you know, he pretty much has it, has all of our, you know, going to take him no problem. Well, Mr. Jelly with Mr. Katakuri here flicks the damn coin in the dude's eyeball. That, of course, distracts him enough for Olimar to freaking actually kill him. So, obviously, the other soldiers ain't too happy about that. They start about to try to fight an attack, and then freaking Olimar's brother just beast mode goes in, just starts killing everybody. Savageness. And. That brings us to chapter 78, titled Treason. <laughs> so, obviously, the dad, Cattell, is freaking out because he's like, yo, what the fuck did y'all do? Why is everybody chopped up, diced up? What the hell? The older son, you know, tells him what happened. And everything and says that they were justified. And so more guards come to try to arrest them. He's the older brother slices and dices again. And so pretty much they're at the point of no coming back now. And so they end up, he ends up uh, basically kind of torturing one of the guards that he left living. 
for a minute to find out that basically they you know got the got to spill the beans that this is all a plan by King Canute. And yeah. So pretty much after that point, Cattell and his two sons fled. And yeah, so now so now Canute has just cause for basically invading the farmland. And so so yeah, so they kind of start to formulate their plan of uh of going to invade the farm, which I'm guessing is gonna lead to you know him and Thorfinn running to each other perhaps next chapter or the next book. I don't know. I'm excited to find out nonetheless. But um, but yeah. So you know, and obviously the his father's head appears before him again, laughing, and he's like, "Why do you laugh, King Sven?" It's the deepening of my sin attaining to you. And then the head says, don't be cross. Why should a father not rejoice that his son is growing to resemble him? <laughs> that was kind of funny. And then, yeah, we kind of end off that chapter with... Actually, that was, that was the end of that part of the volume. With uh, basically seeing that... Uh, Cattell and his sons escaped on a ship with uh, Leif and his crew. So, so yeah, so that reunion is building up. So, so yeah, so that kind of brings us to the end of the first half of of the book. And so, you know, I kind of no, I like you know the extra stuff, little touches that they added in here with. You know, showing a diagram of the old man's house, some other like little quick sketches of stuff. Um, and I'll end this part of the episode by just reading <clears throat> reading the letter that the author Makoto Yukimura wrote at the end of this part of the volume. It even surprises the author how many fathers and sons appear in this manga. Some are close and others are not. My father is a strong and healthy judo athlete, a serious man who wore a crisp suit to work every morning and never caused trouble for our family with drinking or gambling. He's the perfect example of a good father, if I'm allowed to say so myself. I... <clears throat> I wanted to be independent from him as soon as possible. I felt ashamed to be under his care. I didn't like having to follow his opinions, and I swore that I wouldn't follow his influence. So, I practiced kendo instead of judo. Of course, the fact that I would choose another combat style for my activity already says a lot, doesn't it? We didn't butt heads about things. If anything, we were close, but I wanted to be as far from him as I could be. That's what me and my father are like. I kind of hope that my sons are the same way with me. Grow up on your own, boys. Hmm, wait, doesn't that mean I have to be a perfect example of a good father, too? I don't know if I can live up to that. So, so yeah, so that, like I said, that, that's, I, I found that to be, you know, just pretty neat and sweet message, you know, kind of like, like, a, like a father's message to his sons, you know, especially, you know, like, like I mentioned before, me being a father to to my kids, so yeah, that definitely you know 
felt very personal and very touching. So, so yes, yeah, so I'm gonna take a quick break and then we'll be back to continue on through the next part of the of the volume. All right, continuing on with chapter seventy nine. Portents of Storm Clouds. <laughs> now that title alone just lets you know like, okay, you know, based off of what we just finished covering from the end with stuff crap hitting the fan with Cattell's sons and Canute's people. And then the next chapter to start off the next part of the volume of the, or the next volume is Portents of Storm Clouds. Yeah. So, yeah. So pretty much from there, you know, it kind of picked up with snakes men up here kind of like searching the woods for Godar and of course the classic you know guys that are supposed to be sneaky being too dumb and too loud obviously Godar gets the drop on them they try to fight him off and then you know, we kind of switch over a little bit to you know, Einar and Thorfinn and all them, you know, chilling at the old man's house, kind of helping to, to tend and care for him. And then, you know, we see Snake, um, I guess it's probably like, like, a, like a, you know, a common thing, whatever. He reads the Bible to the old man. And so we have a moment, you know, where, you know, the old man kind of falls out the bed. Snake kind of remarks like, yeah, you know, the old man's probably not going to, you know, not going to last too much longer. Um, and then this is where we, where we learned what I mentioned earlier, the connection between uh, Gadar and Arnhide, because as Snake and Thorfinn and all them just kind of outside, just chilling, we see a dude on a horse riding by looks up and we see snakes other two dudes kind of screaming like yo that's the runaway slave he killed uh he killed one of the other guys nicknamed lizard and then ironhide as she sees the guy drop riding by she recognizes him and she shouts out to him gadar and then we get the reveal where he stops and he's like Arnhide, I found you at last, my wife. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. So, yeah, so. Arnhide and Godard. Yeah, so. Leads right into chapter 80, titled Godard's Assault. So, he shows up. You know, they start talking. Obviously, uh, Einar is freaked out because, like, man, the lady he has, he has a crush on found out that she is married to somebody else already. So, so yeah, so they go and then basically Snake warns her, like, hey, don't take his hand or I'm going to rip you to pieces. And so they basically start to scuffle a little bit because then, you know, Snake gets the drop on him and just cuts the freaking head of the horse off, you know, kind of knocking him back down on the ground. And then we kind of start to see a slight fight break out between Snake and 
Gadar freaking this fight looks just freaking badass. <laughs> like this is definitely something like you know, I can't wait till you know, hopefully someday we get to see this animated because man, this just looks so clean just watching these two going in back and forth, um and stuff and so you know, Snake got the speed, kind of got to, you know, get the drop on Gadar, you know, kind of slice him in the stomach, get him over it, and just like got to, you know, chop him in the back of the head with the, uh, with the blunt side of the sword, knocked him on the ground, got him tied up. So, Lazus chapter 81, titled Storm. And yeah, we just see like a battlefield with just like, Sores and helmets and stuff just in the ground or whatever. So, but anywho, so I so said we pick up, you know, Godard's freaking out as he's tied up and being carried away, screaming out Ironheart. You know, so they got him captured. <laughs> supposed to figure out what to do with him. And so, of course, Ironheart, you know, she is, uh, she is, you know, sad and heartbroken again so yeah so then you know, we kind of picked up with you know everybody kind of sitting sad and somber around dinner you know INR gets up and you know basically trying to convince her to maybe try to go save Godar and then you know Ironhide she kind of uh you know tells them the story of their family and the fact that you know, basically they lost their son more or less over a pot. And so she kind of gives the backstory of how, uh, what was it? Let's see. When my son was a year old, yeah, was a year old, we discovered a swampland with iron deposits within the distant woods. There was a squabble over the rice to the swamp between several sides and a fight broke out and so basically all of the men of that area went off to fight for this freaking you know iron and junk and so while they were out the village got attacked so it's more or less kind of kind of a setup of like the enemy knew that the men had all left and you know seemingly that's you know where you know, they killed you know, most, you know, all the elderly and stuff, and then they took all the ladies. And obviously, they they made. She said they made a comment about how, you know, she would fetch a uh, a higher price if she was a unmarried woman. So the last thing she remembers is her kid being carried off. Um. So who knows? There's a chance maybe that kid is still alive somewhere in the world, and they'll re-encounter each other again. Who knows? But yeah. So yeah, so she says about that. And basically today was the first time that she has seen him since he had left to go fight this fight, so to speak. So and she, you know, kind of remarked how, you know, he is like a storm now. And that she says that this time I must protect my child from the men and their storms. And then she reveals that she is carrying the child of Master Cattell. So, you know, she doesn't, doesn't really have any dreams too much of leaving the farm because she's like, hey, I can have a simple life, be taken care of, have a child, love it, raise it, so on and so forth. But then she wakes up in the middle of the night 
old master kind of remarks basically about like her, you know, what happened to her waiting out the storm. And basically she she goes to try to go see Godard. So chapter eighty two Bondage. So yeah, so she shows up at the area where there where snakes guys have uh what you call the Godard tied up. You know, Snake, you know, is leaving because he's getting called to the master's wife's house. And so, basically, kind of just, like, jumping ahead a bit. Uh, of course, Ironheart used her womanly charms to convince the guard to let her go see her husband. Try to go help him. And then, you know, through a series of events, you know, a dude gets a little bit too close. He bites off a piece of the dude's damn neck. <laughs> and then he ends up, you know, she ends up cutting him free. And, of course, he killed everybody there as well. And takes us to Chapter 83, Atonement. And then, of course, Snake comes back, sees all his dudes, sliced up, butchered up. And... Once again, now they're having to go hunt for him, and now it's kind of more of a okay. We're not trying to we're not trying to capture this dude. We're trying to freaking kill him at this point. So, so yeah, so you know, we kind of switch over to uh, Einar and Thorfinn again. Looks like neither one of them slept. You know, Einar obviously he was still he was awake all night. You know, worried about Ironhide, Arnhide. And then Thorfinn was up all night worrying about Einar. <laughs> you know, make sure he didn't run off and stuff. But, but yeah, so that was more or less that. Um, so, so yeah, so, and then, you know, just have a little bit, you know, a little bit more dialogue between Thorfinn and, I, and Einar as Thorfinn kind of tells him a little bit more about himself and his history, his backstory. And then Einar kind of, you know, brings up again Thorfinn's idea of, you know, getting rid of slavery and warfare from the world. So, you know, Thorfinn kind of remarks, um, I only know what I've experienced for myself. It is clear that war creates much slavery the people on the losing side become slaves like Ironhide. The boundary between warriors and slavers is a tedious one. It is difficult to separate the two. So, uh, and then he continues, there are other causes of slavery, but I think the biggest is war. If there were fewer wars, there would be fewer slaves, but Norsemen do not see war as a bad thing. I didn't either. A Norseman's worth is his valor and riches. That's why they all go a Viking. So, and like, so he kind of goes just a little bit more into like, you know, Viking lifestyle and stuff about like the more enemies you kill and valuables you plunder, the greater the respect you earn. All of a man's pride rests on this. So yeah, so that's so just a bit more 
interesting insight um, into this. And then, let me see, where was it? Uh, okay, and then Dan Einar kind of makes a comment about how, you know, Thorfinn managed to stop fighting. And then Thorfinn's like, well, in Nordic society, yes, you would be called a coward, and cowards are shunned. <laughs> and he says, that's fine. That's beyond my ability to change. All I know is leaving that life seemed far better to me than being forced to bear more of them. And then he's saying the, dem the them that he's referring to is the people he's killed. And he talks about how their ghosts appear in my dreams every night, cursing me. Why did you kill me? After the rage and hatred you felt at your father's murder, how could you kill so many fathers, brothers, and sons? And then we get this freaking crazy, kind of, kind of reminds me of something I would see from freaking Walking Dead, just this panel of just Thorfinn surrounded by all of these zombie-like corpses kind of clawing at him and Thorfinn continues saying I must atone for what I did to them I must carry them to the place where they can finally rest at peace and so so yeah so and, and you know and he says uh, but I can't carry but I can't take anymore the burden of even one more death would be too much and so, so yeah, so, this, you know, like I said, this just definitely kind of put me in the mindset of thinking about how, you know, in, in life sometimes, you know, we're haunted by our, by our past and we oftentimes, you know, there's, there are certain burdens that people carry that only that person knows about, like others outside might not be able to see or understand you know, what someone's going through. So, so yeah, so it's definitely, you know, one of those things of like, hey, you know, try to be nice and kind to each other, you know, because everybody's going through something, you know, you don't, don't know. So, so yeah, so they, like I said, they continue to talk and, you know, talking about like how they can achieve this dream and basically, Thorfinn starts to kind of remember the stories that Leif told him as a child of a place, you know, where where this potential world Thorfinn wants to build could possibly be at. But, you know, it's been so long since he heard the story, you know, he started to doubt like, huh, well, was it real? Did you know what the case is? But, but yeah, so. That's like really neat, just kind of getting that call back. And yeah, yeah. So yeah, he's talking about the vast land across the sea. And then, yeah, we kind of skip ahead a bit where, you know, Snake's guys are there on the farm searching for uh, Gadar. And that takes us to chapter 84, a convenient titled A Convenient Dream. And so, uh, so yeah, so, Thorfinn them are kind of running off and they, 
basically they end up at the old man's house, which the old man's uh, snake and his crew are kind of camped out at the old man's house. And they kind of work with, or they kind of like, you know, quietly talk to Arnhide about like, like what happened, what's her plan. And, you know, she basically lets them know that, you know, she hid his body somewhere, but the guards don't know that they think that, you know, he is somewhere far away. And so, yeah, so yeah, so she just kind of going over that stuff and then you know Einar kind of asked her like hey are you prepared to tie your fate with Godard's you know it's like if you simply cannot bring yourself to abandon him your only choice is to go on the run together but you are pregnant that will make your escape even more difficult than it already is and so so yeah so then we get to the point where they start uh, you know trying to plan out how to how to do this and so and so the old man basically is telling telling snake them like hey man just let them go and then snake is like no it's about honor then the old man is like man give up your sword take up a proper job you know like hey i will give you all my fields and you can live a clean life and then, you know, Snake just kind of, you know, brushes it off. And then we get, uh, basically, didn't know at the time, but basically, uh, Einar cloaked Haniar in the trees to kind of get their attention and stuff. And so that takes us to chapter 85 called Confrontation. And so, you know, we have Thorfinn kind of, you know, sneaking through the grass Einar running, but of course he's kind of giving away the faith that he, the possibility that he might not be Godard because of freaking how goddamn fast he's running, <laughs> you know, because Snake quickly picks up on that. It's like, man, for somebody that's supposed to be injured, he's running too fast. So he kind of tells the other guards to kind of continue to, to pursue whoever that is that's running. Snake makes his way back to the house. And so Thorfinn and Einar or Arnhide, you know, go in, she tells him that, you know, basically they, you know, she hid Godard's body under the old man's bed, they're getting ready to try to load him on the car to get him out of there, of course, Snake shows up right on time, and basically, you know, it's like, okay, you know, <laughs> there is no, basically no way talking away out of this or yeah he tells Thorfinn he's like let me be clear Thorfinn there is no room for negotiation hand over Godard if you don't I will kill you so you know Thorfinn starts to like think of his possibilities of what to do and then we get Asklad hopping up on or, or kind of like appearing beside Thorfinn and make, making a comment of back to fighting Thorfinn? Well, I guess you don't have a choice in this situation, do you? There is no lust or hatred behind this fight. It's purely altruism. See? Now you have proper justification for swinging those fists. But then again, I suppose he's got a just reason for fighting as well. 
So what now, Thorfinn? Will you hold true to your oath of peace? Or do you surrender to the way of the battlefield to save this man? Which is the path of being a true warrior? No time to think. You've got to choose now. So, so yeah, so then we pretty much get in, get right into it. Snake walks up on them. You know, they start going at it. Thorfinn freaking dodging. Blaze cartwheeling out the way. And then, you know, Snake is trying to figure out, like, yo, what's up with this dude? What is that stance? Like, that stance isn't for swords, axes, or spears. Maybe it's daggers. And then we head into the final chapter of this volume titled No Going Home. And we have Snake versus Thorfinn. So, once again, just freaking beautiful art, beautiful action panels, seeing freaking Thorfinn and Einar, or, or sorry, Snake going in on Thorfinn and Thorfinn just freaking dodging and darting around and Thorfinn tries to go in for a hit because, oh yeah, yeah okay, yeah, he dropped down, leg sweeped him, but as Snake was falling, he slashes up, cuts Thorfinn on the face, does a little backflip, gets out the way, they both for Mark, he's tough. <laughs> And this snake's like, he's evading every single swipe of my sword. This is unbelievable. Are you kidding me? Against an unarmed man? Then Thorfinn also thinks he's faster than anyone I've ever fought before. I can't even get close. And the way he countered from that position, he's got incredible experience. So that's kind of funny. They're both admiring each other. Uh, and continuing on, Snake is like, how can this be? How does a man... Like him, wind up a slave. Thorfinn, how does such a talented fighter end up a bodyguard on a rural farm? And pausing real quick, I, I can already see and hope that these two best become like best bros, like some, uh, like some uh, Toto and, and Itadori stuff from Jujutsu Kaisen. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, I, I can already kind of see the potential for them maybe working together or, or maybe being rivals. But I think, I think more so working together. Um, but yeah, so they kind of go in and then through the fighting snake basically ends up right next to Godard's body. And he more or less kind of goes in and just stabs him because Thorfinn's too far away to do anything. And so everybody thinks he's dead and stuff. And Snake starts talking about the next plans. Mother, mother Freaker, Ghidorah, rises from the dead, grabs Snake from behind, just choking him out. So he almost kills him. Luckily, you know, they get him. Uh, Arnhide gets Ghidorah to let him go. But Snake, you know, gets choked out, passes out. And so, you know, they kind of, you know, kind of basically get this moment where, you know, the old man tells them to leave. And then, you know, everybody, basically everybody can kind of clearly see like, hey, this dude doesn't have long to live because he's just bleeding out. And so, yeah, kind of end the chapter with Godard and 
Ironhide kind of riding off, them talking, you know, she telling him, like, oh, yeah, yeah, our son is still alive. He's staying with a, a cousin or whatever. And then, you know, Godard just slumps over and passes away. So, and that brings us to, you know, the end of that part of the book. So, I kind of want to read the uh, the final page of this volume as well as a couple of like Arthur comments because I think that stuff is kind of interesting so so yeah so this is the uh, the last page of the volume from the Arthur game Makoto Yukimura in any text I consult it always says that Vikings loved freedom and hated control and restrictions to them Freedom was something won and, man and maintained by strength. There was no means to rule a Viking other than crushing him with military or economic force. King was just the title of the one who wielded the most power. On the flip side, this meant that those who ruled over and lost their freedom suffered because they were too weak. In a society or those who were ruled over uh, and lost their freedom suffered because they were too weak. In a society where power is everything, it is a matter of fact that the, weak, that the weakest will be slaves. It was a shared cultural understanding that those who were too weak to protect, them, to protect their own freedom were at fault for their plight. There was no guilt or doubt about the strong enslaving sub subordinating selling or killing the weak that was just the culture they lived in so how did the kind-hearted live in such a culture there must have been some there must have been some who hated the uh, meritocracy and the punishment of the weak it must have been very painful to have such a large gap between the customs of society and one's own sensibilities did they have to keep their ideas secret and restrict themselves to silently lamenting the plight of mistreated slaves without taking action. Such a person adrift in the culture of the time must have been nameless and penniless. In fact, perhaps the only people who felt that way would have been slaves themselves. Only the strongly their names in history. The stories of such ordinary minorities are not saved over the centuries. That's one of the more bored bothersome aspects of history i just want to know and yeah i feel like that, that was you know some pretty interesting insight into his thought process and and that is true that is like a true statement of what he said of only the strong leave their names in history so yeah that's good stuff um i'm gonna kind of take a little quick break and come back and finish up some final thoughts So yeah, so that was uh freaking awesome. <laughs> like I said, it was just like really cool, just kind of you know, like I said, starting off getting to see more of how Canute has grown and evolved in these like I said, like four years, I think, since the prologue. And then just seeing how quickly, you know, Yeah, just seeing 
how quickly crap hit the fan. Because like I said, it was like at the beginning of the damn thing, you know, aside, you know, obviously from aside from, you know, what Canute was doing, you know, poisoning his brother and junk, you know, overall, it was like, it was like okay, Cattell, uh, had got there, you know, he had, you know, curried good favor with Canute, um, Thorfinn and Einar had finished knocking down the last tree on their land, they were planting crops, they were pretty much like, a, like under a year or so left till they had their freedom. And then, yeah, crap hit the fan on both sides. Had freaking Ghadar escape, slaughtering people, finding out him and Arnheide used to be married, but also Arnheide is pregnant with Master Cattell's baby. And then on the flip side with freaking Cattell's youngest son, Almora being dumb. And then because of him being dumb, he got them put on Canute's radar in a way that they do not did not want to be and then that kind of opened the door for the older brother to just go ham and just slicing up dudes which led to them basically being seen as traitors and so now they're about to bring potentially this war or this or at least a war to the farm where you know the old man might not be there by the time um, could tell them get back, and then like I said, you know, had just they just had to deal with uh, with uh, Gadar. So, oof, yeah, some uh, wild stuff. So I'm gonna kind of end off. I want to kind of read through some of these uh, uh, Arthur questions that they had that they had asked them. So I'm actually gonna go back to some stuff real quick from uh let me see I'll say that for the for the very very end but um from the previous books I didn't I didn't read this so I think this would be kind of fun like I said just to kind of do um so it says called you know a section called you know ask Yuki Murr so Kandansha Comics are the ones asking the question. So, Kandansha asks, Unlike most manga, Venus Saga actually engages with the theology behind Christian and Viking beliefs. What made you want to discuss religion in so much detail? And Yukimura says, I had two reasons. First, because I felt that the religious worldviews of the era would have a major influence on how the characters think. I believe that religion, as one of the human methods of attempting to understand ourselves and the world, is a valuable legacy left behind by our forebearers. In what kinds of ways do human human beings a thousand years ago locate themselves in the world? And how were they cognizant of their own existence? I think we can learn these things from their religion. Meanwhile, by portraying the philosophical standards of the time, I can also depict characters whose thinking deviated from them. This is particularly true for the main character, Thorfinn and Thors. Their thinking may seem normal to someone with the sensibilities of a modern person, but against this background, 
I can show readers that they actually have some unique ideas for the time. Second, unrelated to that reason, I simply find religion fascinating. I don't subscribe to any particular creed. Rather, I like religion itself. No matter which religion it is, its doctrines are unquestionably born out of an idea of how people in the world should be and the pursuit of those ideals, just like me, people a thousand years ago were interested in what exactly human beings are, why they live, what we strive for, and how we ought to be and where we ought to be heading. So, so yeah, so that was a pretty neat one. Um, I actually don't think I'm not going to read all of these like I thought I would because some of these are like super long, but yeah, so that was one, and then let me see, there was another do, 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 do. Uh, yes, yeah, so your Kondacha comics, your impressive attention to detail in the backgrounds is always something Villain Saga fans point out to us. How much time do you typically spend on backgrounds? What do you think makes them so important to manga? So, and he kind of talks about how, you know, the backgrounds are a job done by himself and three staff members together in order. In other words, they, they take four times the work of the character drawings, which I do myself. One chapter of about 30 pages requires two weeks of working 12 hours a day. So, yeah. Um, like, so I'm actually, uh, <laughs> it's a lot of reading and it's like, almost 2 a.m. when I'm recording this, so, so yeah, so like I said, I just thought it'd be interesting just to read a couple of those things, but, um, but yeah, I, I just like the extra details that he puts in these things, especially at the end, so, I'm actually going to read, let me look at something real quick, actually, sorry, I was just kind of looking to see, because I can't remember if I was reading the, like, the, uh, Arthur things, at the end of the last thing, so I think I think I'll just leave that there, and I'll just make sure you know going forward, you know that I'm just more cogniz cognizant to make sure I am uh, recording those. But um, but yeah, overall, like I said, another another book down, um, very awesome. So I'm gonna go ahead and uh, wrap things up. All right. That's going to do it for this special episode, this Villain Saga special episode of Dad Needs to Talk. Um, once again, like I said, a reminder that I covered book six, which is volumes 10 and 11, chapters 72 to 86. Um, like I said, another fantastic chat, fantastic read through. Um, definitely very excited to see how much crap is going to hit the fan in this next volume because I can only imagine especially because I, I know book 7 is going to have chapter 100 involved so I know that's a huge milestone to look forward to but I just want to say uh, thanks to everybody that has listened recently especially since I did the uh, the, the first Venice Saga episode and um, as well as some of that, that Attack on Titan one I did too so 
I guess I should probably, probably make sure I put in my plugs because I realized I didn't do that <laughs> on either one of those. But um, once again, my name is Robert. I'm the host. My personal Twitter is at MastermindRob7. And I actually created a Twitter for the podcast now. It's just at Dad Needs to Talk. So, yeah, go uh, follow both of those. Um, if you need to email me, it's just dnttpodcast at gmail.com. And I believe that'll do it. Um, like I said, once again, thank you for all the love and all the support. All the lessons. Um, like I said, please, you know, if, if, if you're on Twitter or something, whatever, hey, feel free to tweet at me, shout out something. Because um, I've, you know, seen from like those last couple episodes, just people all over the world, you know, love them some villain saga just as much as I do. So that's always awesome having, you know, that thing that you can share and bond over with other people no matter where you are in the world so yeah and that's been a saga so i'm definitely looking forward to continuing this read through and this journey uh into more craziness (laughs) so yeah uh hope y'all have a great day great weekend whatever case may be whenever you hear this and listen to this And I hopefully will see y'all back in the next one. So take care. Be easy. Peace.